0: Welcome to the iMatter podcast, future-proof your business, career, teams, and organization. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira.
1: Hello and welcome to the iMatter podcast. This is the last one for 2015. So a bit of news from me, I've just bought a new car. Now I've had my car for about 10 years, and it's okay, but it's just getting to the time and it's feeling a bit old and tired, and more and more things are starting to go wrong with it. It's costing me more and more. So I figured it's time to get a new car. So a couple of weeks ago, I went out and bought one hasn't arrived yet but it should be mine by early January and I'm telling you this because I said to somebody that this might be the last car I ever buy and she said really? Are you expecting to die sometime soon? (laughs) Well far from it but seriously I do believe this might be the last car I ever buy. Why? Because in another 10 years time, we'll probably all be using shared self-driving cars rather than owning or driving our own car. It might even be illegal to drive cars in 10 years from now. Now that idea might just seem inconceivable, especially when you look at our roads and see how important cars are now in our daily lives. But that's just our world now, and it'll be vastly different 10 years from now. After all, if you look back 10 years ago, here are some of the technologies that didn't exist, and this is just 10 years ago we didn't have. YouTube, social media, Kindle, smartphones, Google Maps. None of those things existed 10 years ago. And if all of that has come into our life in just 10 years, just imagine what the next 10 years will bring. So, how do you prepare for this future? Well, this month's feature interview leads into that question perfectly. And instead of me interviewing somebody, the tables are turned. And this time, I'm being interviewed by leadership expert Ian Berry. Now, Ian wants to talk about differentiation, which is perfect because that's a crucial factor for success in a fast, flattened, free world. So let's join the conversation now.
0: This is Ian Berry. And thank you for joining us uh, once again on A Candid Conversation. Uh, This is a series this year, a a very special series uh, that I'm doing on the seven things that I believe you need to be remarkable in in your business if you're to thrive on the challenges of change. And my special guest today uh, is Gihan Pereira. Uh, Welcome, Gihan. Thanks, Thanks, Ian. Uh, Gihan uh, is going to help, help us explore today one of those special seven areas, and, and that's the, the, the topic of differentiation. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, having this conversation with you, Gihan, because um, I've known, uh, known you for at least 15 years, uh, and one of the things I admire about your work um, is that you're, you're often taking the contrarian view, um, the, the, the different view. Uh, and you've, you've very much um, uh, been able to differentiate yourself uh, and, and hence um, having you as a, as a, as a guest today. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated when I look at your work, uh, Gihan, you talk a lot about the world being fast and flat and free. And, and you also have uh, what I think is a very interesting uh, motto, uh, which is I matter. Uh, and I'm interested, fascinated in a world where you know collaboration is a key. Um, you're talking about the individual, but but I thought we'd we'd start our conversation about differentiation, today with with what is this this idea of yours of the fast, flat, and free world?
1: Mm. And it's a great place to start, Ian. So thank you yeah. for starting with that because actually I, I think those two things uh, work together. So fast, flat, and free is what's happened to the world, yes. and I matter. Is what you need to do about it. So they they really link in very closely together. Ah. So if you look at, um, in fact, I would say in a nutshell, uh, the whole concept of I Matter is that leadership used to be about control, it used to be about hierarchy, it used to be about structure, and now it's about influence. So we've changed from a world of control to world of influence. And what's changed is that the worlds become fast, flat, and free. And if you, it, the, the two big things that have happened. Are, the, are computers and the internet and doesn't matter whether you're in, in a business an organization that uh, deals with that in a big way you don't need to be a technology company you don't need to work in that space obviously computers and the internet have changed uh, everybody um, and I don't want to just make it sound so glibby, and I think that the key is, is there's two things that uh, computers have meant that things have gone from physical to digital and the internet has meant that we've gone from isolated to connected and those two things combined give us that those those three things are so fast flat and free so things are now faster than ever before we want things instantly Um the flat part is that the world is flat so we've flattened hierarchies we've flattened structures we've flattened uh, org- the, the barriers between people and countries and uh, and of course, now that things are digital they 're available free or sometimes for very low cost. so those three things that the, the world has become fast flat and free um, have helped to, to transform almost everything is transformed the way that we communicate it 's uh, obviously transformed the way that technology works. But that affects everything, and that's that's our fast, flat, and free world that we're living in. Yes. And as a result of that, um, we can't rely on those old structures that used to work. Those old control structures. We now need to work through influence.
0: Well, I think that's a fascinating way to start. And one of the things that I immediately uh, was thinking as you as you were speaking there was really what you're saying. One way of looking at this, what you're saying is that that so much has become the same. In, in fact. And therefore, it's it's much harder to differentiate.
1: Yeah, that's right, Ian. I, th- I think Imagine. there was uh, not so long ago. If you're in a business, if you're an organisation, I think this is especially true in Australia. We've been become we've become a bit complacent that we're we we're isolated. So organisations and businesses had the luxury to be able to do whatever they wanted. Yes, and you could differentiate by just simply being there, there because customers didn't have access to many choices. Um, customers didn't have access to a global market in many places. Um, you know, organizations, employees didn't have many choices about how to find where they were going to work. Um, if you're going on a holiday, there weren't many places where you could find information about that. You'd look up newspapers where they would have, um, or travel magazines, or you'd walk into a travel agency. Um, if you were looking to go to a new restaurant, even something as simple as that, Ian, you, you know that there, were, there weren't there were many choices. You could either look locally, you could ask your friends, a, a small group of friends, yes. or you could now, there's so many options available and many of them are similar to or better than what your business, your organisation is offering. So I think you're exactly right. Uh, we're, we're drowning in a sea of sameness and we need to be different.
0: I'm, I'm fascinated, therefore, how you, what was the process? How did you come up with I Matter?
1: Yeah, look. That the whole I matter thing is, uh, as many of these things, Ian, as as you'd know, working with leaders and helping them find their unique leadership position, it's something that's taken time. And um, for me, it was actually a case of looking back over time and looking at all the things that I did and seeing what what common thread ran through them. And uh, one of my mentors for many years is somebody you know quite well as well, Ian Mac Church. Yes, yes, indeed. we were looking at um, what I was doing and looking at, okay, what's a common thread? What, What unites and binds everything that I do? And it seemed like everything that I was doing was about the individual. Uh, nice. I was that, that fast, flat, and free is about how individual businesses need to take advantage of the, the changing world. Um, I wrote a book called Out of Office, which is about how individuals can work from home, or maybe even give up their business or work employment altogether and start a business running from home. Um, I've done a lot of work with uh, thought leaders, as you know, Ian, and I run this membership program called the E Gurus Community, yes. which is all about smart individuals and smart thought leaders make a difference in the world. So all of this kind of led to that, um, that the idea that everything I'm about is about the individual. I actually remember my very first job, which was uh, it was a long time ago, in, uh, in 1989, I was working for a small software company in Perth, and uh, I was lucky that I was in a small company, um, and in Perth, like the big companies weren't in Perth, they were in the Eastern States and I didn't want to travel. I just wanted to get a job and see what the workforce was like. Yes. So I was working for this tiny little company, just 20 people. And, uh, I actually remember one time the the general manager, there were the two managing directors. And, uh, at the time I was probably, I'd probably been working there for about two or three years. And, uh, this managing director, he wasn't my boss, but he was my boss's boss. I remember one time we were working on this mining project because we used to create software to manage um, mining equipment uh, up in the northwest of Western Australia. And my boss was away and my boss's boss was away. And it wasn't like there was a huge hierarchy, but uh, I was kind of the, so this technical director, Danny, Danny Schofield, he came to me one day and he said, "Um, look, we've got a problem with this project um, can you log in so you dial in using these dial-in modems can you log in just have a look what's going on this is what the customers reported just get back to me and just tell me what we should do and uh, so I had a look and a couple of hours later I went into Danny's office and uh, he wasn't there so I did what we used to do in those days which was write up a little memo print it out and stick it in his entry like a physical entry <laughs> I said look Danny here's what here's what we have to do here's what I've looked at and here are my recommendations I left you- it there and, and this is, I, this is lunch.
0: This is 99, oh. right? 1999?
1: Yeah, actually, earlier than that, 19, early, uh, I think, late 80s, early 90s. Okay, so
0: this is really uh, pre, pre-internet.
1: pre Well, yeah, I mean, there wasn't internet, but it was still, it was very academic and military, so uh, yes, most yes. businesses didn't use it yet. So we didn't yes. have in- email in the, in the office, and, you know, it was easy enough to just walk across his office. Mm. Um, and, but after lunch... Um, Danny, he buzzed me on on our little intercom and said, can you come into the office? So I went in and he had my memo in his hand and he said, look, um, can you take this memo um, and reprint it, but take off the dear Danny at the top and we'll put the customer's name and I'll sign it at the bottom and we'll send it off to him. Uh, We'll send it off to them. And I said, look, are you sure? Because, you know, um, are you sure you're happy to do that? And he said, yeah, look, you're the most qualified person in the office right now to make a recommendation and I'm willing to stand by that recommendation and it really taught me a lot Ian because it taught me that uh, if you like like I matter and it was working in a small software company having Mm. a boss and a boss's boss who were willing to say look you are the absolute expert even though you're wet behind the ears two years out of university there's nobody else here who's more qualified than you so we'll stand by you and, uh, the, uh, Danny Schofield and Kevin Scar, my boss, um, Steve Pritchard, they were, they were well ahead of their time in embracing this idea that there are individuals in your organization who, who know stuff and you should you trust their judgment and trust their expertise and stand by it. And that's exactly what's happened now. And I, I think that's those days, uh, those early days working for ComSys, a company that doesn't exist anymore. It really set me on the path. Of understanding the power of the individual and why everyone should be looking at the people in the organization who say "I matter
0: and it kind of struck me as you were as you were sharing that story that um, so the seeds of differentiation can can go back a long way you know and it 's yeah. almost like you know people are trying to create value propositions in a weekend kind of thing that you that you yeah. hear about. Uh, people are trying to get slogans, you know, mottos, what have you. But what you're suggesting, I think, is that the seeds of how we really make a difference in a way that is deep and personal for us. The seeds, the yeah. seeds go back a long way.
1: Yeah, and that's right, Ian. And I think that, and I think there's things like mottos and slogans and value propositions. I think they have their place. So I don't think we can say they're, they're no use at all. But to me, they're a starting point for a conversation. Uh, again in the the way that they used to be used was again very much that control so an organization would say here's our here's our slogan here's our value proposition here's our mission here's here's what we stand for Now everybody who comes and works for the organisation, this is what you're expected to fit into. So these are the pigeonholes where we fit, and these are the services that we offer. But how can you do that when an organisation where there are smart, talented, innovative people who come in with their own ideas, their own values, they're already successful outside the organization, they already have um, a burning desire to do something in the world. And sometimes they're already doing it because they've got the ability to do that now. And now they're coming into your organization and you're going to say to them, no, you have to fit within these parameters this value proposition, this pigeonhole. So I, I think the old way of creating value propositions was exactly as you said, let's go away on a strategic retreat to Bali and come back with these stone tablets that tell us how the organization is going to work for the next five years. <laughs> well, that doesn't work anymore. No. It, it probably never did, but uh, more than ever before, that's not going to work. If you want to create values for your organization and value propositions, I know they're different things, but if you want to create them, then engage your people in it um get, get everyone involved in it, get them to say, here's the sort of organization I want to work for. Here's the sort of thing that will make me proud to say I work here. Um, here's what will make my work meaningful uh, so that I come here for meaning, not just for money. Those are the sort of things that will create um, a value proposition and a culture where people actually uh, get the chance to shine.
0: Uh, interesting you say that and and that's indeed that's the kind of work that that I do and it came really about from an error that I I made probably 20 years ago where I was one of these consultants taking away people for the weekend to get the the mission vision and values (laughs) until uh, I got a a rude shock uh, from some employees of that organization who didn't think that was the way to go and I stopped doing that Uh, a very long time ago Uh, and it also it struck me I've heard I forget the exact saying but it's something along the lines of differentiation is actually about the difference we make in the hearts and minds of our employees first and our customers second and so maybe we could sort of explore Mm -hmm. that you know it's it's kind of um, differentiation first of all is is the difference we make to our employees and then it's like you're saying, it's how together we make a difference in the, in the hearts and minds of our customers. That's differentiation. That's what you're saying.
1: Yeah, no, that's, let me think about it, Ian, because I think you're right. I think, that's, I think that's the difference, isn't it? So if you say we've got these differentiators mm. and you say I'm different than somebody else because of this, mm. um, who cares, who cares, unless it's a difference that makes a difference. And I think that's the difference. Uh, so I remember when I first started my business, one of the books that I read was Neil Rackham's book, Spin Selling. And it's yes. a fantastic book. And I think he talks about, uh, he's talking about sales. and yes. Every salesperson knows the difference between features and benefits. So features are what something does and benefits are what that means, if you like. Yes. Yes. I really like that Rackham made that extra um, distinction, he said. There are things called features. Then there are advantages, and then there are benefits. And he made the distinction between advantages and benefits. An advantage is what typically was uh, was called a benefit. So it's something like what a feature means. But it doesn't become a benefit until it's actually something that a customer or client cares about. So you can say that, um, you know, your car has a feature and it may be having a, a feature of having a, a self-locking doors. Mm. And mm. so what's the benefit of that or what's the advantage of that? So there might be some advantage to that, which is that you're safer. But if the customer doesn't care about safety, then it's, there's no point listing 100 advantages that the customer cares about what you really need to do is find the one, two, three, or five that actually they care about, and those are the real benefits. And unless you're really talking about benefits at a sales level, at a marketing level, at a customer service level, even at a recruitment level, unless you're really talking about the benefits of working with us or um, the benefits of us helping you this way, or the fact that we've got a Twitter account. If the customers don't use Twitter, it's not really a benefit. <laughs> and, uh, and I really think that is, I think that's a point you're making, Ian, that the difference that makes a difference is the only difference that matters.
0: And, and this is really tied in very much with, with leadership too, because I think um, one of my favourite definitions of leadership, I think, is the La Uh, statement that says that leadership is about getting people to do what we want them to do, believing they did it themselves. And this is very much, we want the customers to do what we want them to do, but we want them to believe that they did it themselves. Uh, It's very much that, you know, that like it's aligned with the Zig Ziglar idea that the way we get what we want is to help other people get what they want.
1: I reckon that some people who will look at that and say, that's manipulative, because you're trying to trick people into believing that they want it all along. But I think the, I think the distinction is, and I know you don't believe that, Ian, because I no. think the distinction is that uh, it's now so much more collaborative and you started off by saying uh, we need to be more collaborative and I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Um, and, again, leadership is not bringing down the stone tablets from the mountain and telling people <laughs> what to do. Yeah. It's actually engaging people in creating a collaborative culture and then... When you say, well, you, people say we did it ourselves, it's natural. That's exactly what happens. Uh, mm. So mm. the leader is stepping back and saying, um, yeah, you guys, like everyone here has incredible talent, incredible ability, incredible potential, and sometimes even actually incredible performance if we just let them do that. So if we take the lid off and let them do that, that's part of our leadership role.
0: And and this is very much uh, too about the stories that we that we tell ourselves as well as the stories we we tell other people um, about us. I know, again, you're a great um, storyteller yourself, and you you work with lots of speakers who are great storytellers. How how much is our stories and storytelling, story telling, story sharing? How much are they a part of differentiation? Do you think?
1: I. Used to be skeptical about this.
0: Right,
1: so I, okay. But the whole idea of storytelling and the idea that you should uh, tell more stories was something that I kind of got it, but I never really embraced it. Right. And that, and you know, like you hear people say, stories have been the way that people have passed down messages and culture throughout the centuries. Yes. And I always used to think, yeah, that, that's fine, but that was fine for, um, for our ancestors. But now what we need is something like more sharp, more direct. I'm not saying facts and data and numbers. I'm not saying that. But I thought you need to be a lot sharper. And then suddenly, uh, what's happened is that stories, uh, maybe this is just my, maybe this is just my justification for saying that uh, I was wrong, but I've changed my mind, Ian. But I reckon (laughs) suddenly, stories have become more powerful than ever before. Um, and for a couple of reasons. So one is, as we said, you can't just have a mission statement on the wall with these, with these nouns that people don't understand the meaning of. So you say integrity, reliability, consistency. What, like, what does that mean? It means different things to different people. Indeed. And in an organization where you're saying, okay, let's leverage the power of the individuals, if I say trust is one of our key values, everyone else has to know what that means. And everyone yes. else has their own version of what trust means. Yes. You're not going to, you're not going to instill that in people or get people to, um, to understand it or embrace it for themselves, by just giving them the word trust. You tell stories of how we trusted a customer and they didn't let us down or how we had an employee who came in late and because they, we trusted their judgment in making a decision or how we let somebody loose on Twitter and they didn't betray our trust because they, they acted in ways that were consistent with that. So we tell stories of trust. And in these sort of more collaborative organizations where the structures are broken down, you can't rely on control and hierarchy anymore, stories are more important. So that's the first thing. Yes. Uh, the second thing is... Because we've now got the ability to tell stories in through videos and Facebook posts and photographs and podcasts and like everyone's got the ability to tell stories and everyone is telling stories. So that old idea, uh, that old idea of um, tribes passing down their culture through storytelling because they didn't have written language, that is now as current, or it's, it's, there's been a resurgence in that because everyone is telling stories that way. I yes. can write a blog post or I can tweet about some event as it's happening. And you know the traditional storytellers and the, the media companies, they're dying to have people on the ground telling their stories. You see so many articles saying, if you know more about this, a tweet, or if you've got some photos, share them on our website. So storytelling has become the new currency for passing messages and for transmitting culture, vision, values. So I totally agree that stories are absolutely critical um, to differentiate and to be able to share uh, our key messages.
0: And and I think it's fascinating too that now that everyone has the ability to tell and share stories, then more and more we've got to tell such stories. I mean, I've always believed, uh, I mean, again, as you know, I've been speaking professionally for a very long time, and I was fortunate enough that telling stories has always been my main modus operandi. But mm-hmm. and and nowadays, you know, I've had a lot of those stories filmed, and and my clients have access to them, you know, whenever they want. But but as I say to them, it's not my stories that are important; rather, it's what you hear yourself say to yourself, mm-hmm. and then take action. That's what's important. So the, the, the secret for it, uh, to a great story, in my view, is not so much the story, but how the story makes us feel. And it's not like, exactly. and you know, you see Twitter posts, you see, you know, Instagram, whatever, but a lot of, a lot of it, again, is the same. And so what I'm, what I'm keen to get your views on is, if everyone's doing this, how do we differentiate uh, ourselves through this medium?
1: Yeah. So again, let me take let's let's look at an example of the like. Say, trust is one of your values, yes. and you want people in your organisation to take that on as a value. So first of all, let's go back to what we said earlier. Ian. if trust is one of the values of your organisation, yes. it's something that as a group, as an organisation, you've decided that's one of your values. So that's the first part. It's not something that has been dictated by by above Uh, so let's say we all agree that trust is one of our values then i reckon as a in a very practical uh, at a very practical level Ian, as a leader or a manager at your team meetings are you asking people what does trust mean for you Um, are you sharing a story that demonstrates what trust means to you as a leader Uh, are you asking your team members to tell tell you what trust means and to share with the group. What does trust mean for you? Uh, you know, for, for, some person, for somebody, trust means my newborn baby has complete trust in me because she has no other way of surviving otherwise. And uh, For somebody else, trust means um, in my relationship, I trust my partner implicitly and I don't have to keep checks on them. Um, for somebody else, trust means something completely different. Mm. And if everyone has a story about trust, and they're sharing those stories, that's how you build a culture. That's how you become the organization that becomes a trusted organization. And so I've, I've looked at the internal side, but it's, it, it applies externally as well. You know, there, There's no reason why when you have one of these stories, you can't record one of your employees telling one of those stories, share it on YouTube, and that becomes part of your external facing face to the world because that is now something that people outside the organization are doing anyway, so why aren 't you doing it? Why are we still? Um, living in this world where we believe that there, there are these barriers between inside the organization and outside the organization. And Mark Holmes can tell stories that are external and customer facing, but everybody else has to have the stories internal or vetted or their social media policies that say, no, you can't publish anything without anyone's permission. No, that's not right. That's no. not right. Well, the idea is that, uh, I mean, and, and, and I know, I mean, it's, it's easy for us to rant about this, Ian, and I know there are some legal implications and you need to do things the right way. I come back to, you know, one of the things that's, uh, that drives me, in is Steve Martin, you know, Steve Martin, the actor. So this yes. kind of tells my age as well. But he has an actor, he's an actor who has longevity. And one of the things that he was asked was, oh, what's your secret of success? And he said this. Be so good they can't ignore you.
0: <laughs> there you have it. And
1: if if I was, you know, if you said to me, What's your what's your business your favorite business quote or something that you live by, it's that be so good they can't ignore you. And if you start from that point, then all of those other issues about legal ramifications, about HR issues, as important as they are, they become less important because you go, okay, we're gonna get recruit the best people. We're going to give them the best environment where they can thrive. We're going to do the absolute best that we can for our customers. So we're, yeah, it doesn't matter what our competitors are doing because we don't want to be focusing on our competitors. We want to be focusing on our customers and clients. So if you absolutely live by that principle, be, you know, be so good they can't ignore you, then a lot of these other issues, they just dissolve. And uh, again, I know it can sound like it's very theoretical and hypothetical, but organizations who live by that, you know, whether they actually follow those words or not uh, organizations who live by that they are absolutely the best the leading organizations in the world
0: look I think you're absolutely right and as you know you know I'm big on you know let's let's remember that each and every one of us is remarkable just by the nature yes. of our, just by the nature of our birth and yes. I, I think differentiation is about we either do what other people aren't doing which is very hard to do mm-hmm. or we do what others are doing we just do it better uniquely uh, or, or, or more or differently. And that, that in, in its essence um, is differentiation. And, and what you're saying is if we, if we are so good that people can't ignore us, then that in itself is the differentiator.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, yeah, coming back to because we're talking about differentiation, yes. if you use it as a guiding principle, then that, like if that, that's your direction. And if you say, what do we need to do to be so good that your customers can't help but come to us, that employees can't help but stay with us and tell all their friends about us, uh, that the market can't help but value our organisation. If you use it as a guiding principle and say, okay, now what do we need to do? Then it doesn't need you and it doesn't need me to, to say, okay, here are the things you need to do in practice. You in your organisation already have the intelligence the savvy the innovation the creativity the leadership to make that happen and to stand out which is exactly what we're talking about
0: indeed and i think that's just a um a fascinating way to to probably bring our conversation to a conclusion for today because it doesn't get it doesn't get any better than that
1: it was good, wasn't it? A really interesting conversation with Ian. If you'd like to connect directly with Ian, then go to ianberry.biz. That's Ian, I-A-N, Berry, B-E-R-R-Y, dot B-I-Z. Okay, so let's talk about preparing for the future. In my presentations and my consulting work, clients often want to know what's ahead for their industry and their future. So... As I've already said, the world is becoming fast, flat, and free. And I talked about this in the conversation at the end. So everything's moving faster than ever before. We've broken down hierarchies and barriers, and things that used to cost a lot now cost a lot less. So if you want to know how to disrupt your business, well, let's look at the opposite of fast, flat, and free. And that would be slow, bumpy, and expensive. So if you do anything in your business that's slow, bumpy or expensive, or a combination of these, then beware. So let me give you some examples. First of all, slow. So here's some danger words, some potential weaknesses to look out for in your business. Technical, complex, service. Here's what I mean. If your product or service is technical or complex, computers will be able to do it soon. Now this is happening, for example, in financial planning, where robo-advice is a looming threat to the established way of delivering financial advice. In fact, if it's any service at all, it'll first be outsourced and then possibly even fully automated. We've seen this happen in many industries, with travel agents, with mortgage brokers, customer service, and many other service businesses. Okay, the second thing is bumpy. So the danger words here are things like regulated, licensed, controlled, mandated. These are sort of things that have protected businesses in the past, but now they're barriers to progress. One of the best-known examples, of course, is the taxi industry. For a long time, it's been heavily regulated and licensed, so it was inevitable that somebody like Uber would come along. Now, I know that in many places, Uber's legality is a bit of a grey area, but it won't be long before legislation catches up. It's already happened in Canberra, in the Australian Capital Territory, and I think it's going to happen everywhere as well. So bumpy means that things have been protected because they've been regulated, licensed or controlled. The third word is expensive. This is pretty obvious. The danger words you should be looking out for are things like upfront fees, delayed results, a boring kind of service. So if you provide an expensive service, customers will look for a way to find something that's more affordable. Now you might have survived until now because it wasn't easy for them to look elsewhere, but now your competition is just one Google search away. And they're not only doing it cheaper, they're doing it better. And there are many, many examples. In healthcare, for example, patients with heart conditions used to have to go to specialists regularly to get ECGs done. And those used to be expensive and intrusive. And now they can use this device called a LiveCore, which is a small device attached to their iPhone that lets them do their own ECG for about a dollar a test. That's an example of something that was expensive. Now it's become almost free. So could any of these things affect your business? Now, I know that there's some businesses and even some industries that are sticking their head in the sand. They're pretending that some of these changes won't affect them, but they will. So if you really want to future-proof your business, ask yourself, what do we do that's slow, bumpy or expensive? And when you find out the answer, fix it. Isn't it much better to disrupt it yourself rather than wait for a competitor to come along and do it to you? So if you'd like to know more about future-proofing your business, come along to my free webinar on Thursday the 10th of December. It's called Slow, Bumpy and Expensive. It's about exactly the things I've just talked about. So we'll look at your industry and we'll look at your business and I'll give you the four key questions to ask about your business to identify weaknesses, prepare for change and lead the disruption. Give you a bit of a hint. Three of the questions are about what's slow, bumpy and expensive just the sort of things I just talked about Uh, but I'll keep the fourth one as a surprise for you so come along this will be an interactive webinar where you'll get to work on your own business and answer those questions for yourself so to register it's free just go to seeingintothefuture.com and sign up I'm sure you'll get a lot of value from it I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store, and that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, check out my speaking topics at com. You can also find out about my mentoring programs if you're interested in one-on-one work for yourself or your teams. And I also run a membership site for leaders to help with creating an online footprint for marketing your business, for getting things done in a chaotic world, and for delivering more magnetic messages. You can find out more at eGurus.info. That's E-G-U-R-U-S.info. And if you do want to engage with me in other ways, again, go to gihanperera.com, where you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, videos, and webinar series. They're all free, and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of the individuals in your organization, your team, and, of course, your own potential as well. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now.
0: You've been listening to the I Matter podcast. To subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit iMatterPodcast.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.